Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man podcast, proudly presented by the New York Post. Next up, we have actress, singer, producer, and transgender rights activist, Angelica Ross, who's known for her powerful performance as Candy in the hit TV series, Pose. Coming up, I'll talk to Angelica about her childhood growing up in the Midwest, the challenges she faced coming out to her family, and what it's been like breaking ground as the first openly transgender woman to star on Broadway. Up next, Angelica Ross. Let's go. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man podcast, proudly presented by the New York Post, a show where we cover trends in fashion, entertainment, current events, and everything in between. Download the podcast, leave a five-star rating, refer it to a family member, a friend, a co-worker, Make sure those people in your phone are getting this good old-fashioned soul food. Like the Goody Mob once said. And the People's Choice Awards are going to be announced this Friday. And thanks to you, the Renaissance Man is being considered in two different categories. Best Black Hosted and Entertainment. I appreciate your support. This week's episode is a powerful one. The theme is courage is key. The late, great Nelson Mandela once said, courage isn't the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. Mm. I've thought a lot about this recently. And with Suicide Prevention Awareness Month being September, I want to emphasize how important it is to have open and inclusive conversations around difficult topics. This is part of the reason why I started this show in the first place. Real questions, real answers, real therapy. And I'm passionate about reducing stigma and breaking down barriers to seek help, as well as highlighting the role that each one of us play in support of our community. It's important for me to share with you that if you have any thoughts of suicide, please, please, please dial 988 to reach the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. And I like to do my part by reminding you that you are courageous. Even when you don't think you are, bravery doesn't always have to roar inside of you. Sometimes 
encourages the quiet voice at the end of the day saying, I'll try it again tomorrow. And that kind of feeling is definitely something you can be proud of. My next guest knows all about what it takes to meet challenges head on. Angelica Ross is a talented actress, singer, entrepreneur, and most recently, a Broadway star who is playing Roxy Hart in the musical, the hit musical, the classic Chicago. Coming up, I talked to Angelica about how she learned to trust her own voice while growing up, what role therapy and spirituality play in her life, and what advice she has for anyone on a path of self-discovery. Up next, Angelica Ross. Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man podcast, proudly presented by the New York Post, a show where we cover trends in fashion, entertainment, current events, and everything in between. My next guest is a CEO, a transgender rights activist, actress, producer, and singer-songwriter. She's also known for her roles in the hit TV series, Pose, an American Horror Story. Earlier this month, she took the stage as the first openly trans woman to star in a lead role in Chicago (laughs) on Broadway. It is my honor to welcome the uber-talented Angelica Ross to the Renaissance Man podcast. Thank you for having me, and thank you for, you know, Sounding off some of those accolades for me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. You got to celebrate you. You're doing some major things. And uh, you have a lot of people that can't wait to learn more about your story. So tell me, what was it like for you growing up in Wisconsin and when you began your journey as an artist? Um, Well, that's quite a story. Um, But yeah, uh, you know, growing up in the Midwest, you know, uh, kind of a, a small box, a little bit, a small pond. Um, and I always say that, you know, and, and when I'm mentoring with other people, I always talk about becoming a big fish in, in a small pond mm-hmm. and not like sort of feeling like you need to be somewhere else to go to some big city, but like become a big fish where you're at. And so that's definitely what happened with my life. Um, I was in a local theater group for about 11 years. Um, and so from childhood doing uh, plays, with other kids my age. And then once I got too old for that group, I graduated to the older group, um, which all the way, took me all the way till I was 19 years old. So I did musical theater, tap, ballet, modern, voice, um, choirs, all this kind of stuff for an extremely long time. So, mm. you know, what I think is kind of important for people to understand is is that one, I did not pop out of a canyon or just like show up out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, Yes, people have known me first uh, from my advocacy and grassroots activism and things like that at first, but I had to become an advocate in order to just advocate for people respecting me and me being able to keep a job or me being able to do certain things. So it wasn't like I just really signed up and that's what I wanted to do was be an advocate. 
when opportunities were being taken from me, when I couldn't access basic things, I had to learn how to advocate for myself. But you think about books like Malcolm Gladwell, his book Outliers, Mm -hmm. and talking about those 10 years or 10,000 hours of, of greatness. Like I put 11 years in before I even graduated high school with this stuff. So when you're seeing me coming finally to these opportunities, it's that and more that I put in the work for those opportunities. As a fellow Midwesterner who has a background in sports, it's incredible to hear you were so very young, but so very dedicated to so many things. Tap, ballet, choir, acting, plays, theater. How old were you when you started doing this? And when did you know that it was going to be something you wanted to dedicate your career to? Well, it was kind of situation. So the situation was this, like I grew up in the hood and the thing is, is that there's a hood everywhere. People no, no. don't like, people don't understand. Like they're like, oh, there's black people in Wisconsin. I'm like, yes. <laughs> and there's a hood in every uh, city yes. in America, you know? And so I lived and grew up around like drugs and prostitution and get drive-by shootings and like just all kind of like really chaotic stuff, you know? And then being kind of the family because even though I didn't grow up with my father in the house, I grew up with my stepfather. So mm-hmm. he was there. He was the father that I knew um, since birth. And so I had two parents and they really pushed education and pushed a lot of things. And so in that environment, even we were seen as like, I don't know, like too good, you know, and then mm-hmm. and like, so I, I sometimes yep. got bullied and things like that because of, mm-hmm. of my family. But mm-hmm. even still growing up in that environment, it's so funny uh, that in sometimes in our black community, we are in such denial about queer kids or people or, you know, all this stuff and saying it's not something that's from our community. And yet, before I even knew that there was anything going on with me, mm-hmm. everyone else did. Mm-hmm. They were cl- they were clocking it in my behavior. Don't walk like that. Don't talk like this. Boys don't do this. Yeah, you know, so it was. I was being policed and monitored in my behavior and the way that I expressed myself. So when I found these after-school activities like drama, that was a place for me to kind of escape and just be able to play and be myself and sing and 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 do all of those things. So it started at a young age, both from me growing up in church and sort of hearing the call for me creatively. I've always felt this call on my life um, creatively, spiritually, and all those things. And I answered that call, even as the church was sort of starting to push me out, you know, uh, of the situation. So luckily I had that first sort of experience that took me through all of the hardship, took me through all the challenges. So I stayed in theater to kind of like keep my sanity. It like kept me alive. Absolutely. And I'm the founder of a charter high school. And one of the things we want to make sure each of our young people do other than obviously get their education is adopt the trade and or play a sport and extracurricular activity. And you use the word that I use a lot, escape. And Mm -hmm. I didn't realize this as much until the pandemic happened that in 
suburban of influential neighborhoods, those young people were able to flourish because they have space to set up a computer and to study and to do their homework. And home is comfort. But in our community, you leave the home to go to school or to your activity to escape what's happening on your block, in your house, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in your head, in your mind, whatever's taking place. And then all of a sudden, as you mentioned, you dedicate yourself the way that you did. So what was it like for you? Because unfortunately, we we do that as black people. Sometimes it's like tears. And I was guilty of this growing up poor And the only difference is I had a single parent. So we looked at the kids that had the two parents almost like they was rich. Right. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. We all poor, you know what I'm saying? We all poor. Yes. Absolutely. So, so what was that like for you navigating that? It was, it was really hard. You know, I look at the kids nowadays, um, like even like your Zia Wades and things like that. And I'm thinking to myself, oof, like, I wish I had, I don't even know where that courage is coming from. And I'm courageous and I'm somebody that has, but to be coming out like that, out the gate and be in school around other kids who are just nasty and, and abusive and all kinds of other things. Like, so for me, it was really hard uh, navigating that space. And I just, you know, it's so interesting because coming up through middle school, I was starting to really, it was starting to really uh, sink in who I, I I knew I was different and I was like, oh crap. And so like, I'm in the church and I'm fasting Mm -hmm. and I'm praying and I'm doing all this stuff. And it really is working a mental number on me. Like it's, it was Mm -hmm. really affecting my mental health to the point where I was starting to get very um, just like suicidal and just everything. And so I went to my parents and I was like, Hey, listen, um, I think I need, I need to talk to someone. I need therapy. This was like, uh, this was me going into high school. So it was like eighth grade go, about to go into high school. And I remember my father was like, ain't nothing wrong with you. And like, you know, you ain't, you don't need to talk to nobody and tell it outside the house. And, you know, and if we, if we pay end up paying all this money and ain't nothing wrong with you, I'm whooping your ass, you know, sort of yeah. kind of situation. Right. And right. so, you know, mental health or therapy wasn't encouraged, you know, mm-hmm. at, at that time. So it was extremely hard navigating a space, knowing even in my own home that my mom is 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 subconsciously setting the tone and making ain't nobody better be gay in this house. And, you know, right. something comes on TV and mm-hmm. all the different things. So it was it was a nightmare navigating um, that situation. And. I, you know, I talk about on, there was this conversation I did with uh, Oprah Winfrey's um, Black Women Own, the conversation. It was in a room of like a hundred different women. And my mom was there and she got up in front of all these women and sort of admitted that she asked me to commit suicide. She told me either kill myself or she had to kill herself because she could not, the church did not condone um, raising a child like me. And and I attempted suicide that that uh, evening and and luckily survived. Um, and so, you know, it's really important. My my whole life journey. Um, it's there's so so it's I, I'm following a calling and all of that. But what I'll say is this is that my life could have ended there mm. and I would not have had the ripple effect 
that mm-hmm. my life has had on this planet, not just on my own family, but on in the ways that I've helped move our conversations forward and certain things. And sure, other people will pop up and, and do the work, but I'm one of those people in history, making history mm-hmm. um, and pushing us forward. So I, it's really... Um, it's really something that I hold close to my heart that I just don't want young people to swallow the poison that mm-hmm. will kill them internally. Mm-hmm. Meaning like a lot of times we're doing the work of the system for the system. When mm-hmm. we internalize white supremacy or when we internalize homophobia or transphobia or all those different things, mm-hmm. It's something that can wilt us, wilt away at us from the inside out. And I've seen black, queer and trans people who are traumatized from all of that on the inside, who are navigating their environments right now through trauma still, whether it's through addiction and other coping mechanisms that, you know, our families have always just been afraid. Uh, You're black in this world and. Mm-hmm. it's enough being black in this world. Now you want to add something else and be, be this or that. And mm-hmm. so I hear the fear from these families of thinking like someone is going to treat my child wrong. Mm-hmm. But the messed up thing is they end up being the first people to do so. They end up being the first place that can either show love and acceptance or show rejection and abuse and violence. Wow. Your, your, your story is incredible. And your your strength is just is is so is so is so paramount in who you are today and everything that you're accomplishing and and so for you to go from attempting suicide to being in the space that you are right now how did you get there psychologically emotionally and what role is like a therapy or any healers that you may have in your life play for you? Yeah. Um, I mean, I definitely therapy was uh, one of the first things that sort of triggered the healing. Um, I was doing therapy when I was uh, I was in this relationship where I was engaged to be married to this guy for and I was with him for like eight years and um, I was doing Therapy just out of routine because being a trans person, you had at the time you had to get therapy in order to even access hormone therapy and all these different things. So I was just kind of doing it for routine. And then um, as I started realizing, oh, I guess I do have some things that I need to kind of address. Uh, she introduced me to a book called the uh, The Voice of Knowledge which is by Don Miguel Ruiz, who also wrote The Four Agreements, which a lot of people know about The Four Agreements. Um, But The Voice of Knowledge was the first book that kind of snapped me out of this place of understanding that a lot of the voice in my head and things are things that were passed on to me. It's not mm-hmm. it's not even my own thoughts about myself. Uh, it's thought that what the world says I should think about myself, what my parents say I should think about myself. So I had to kind of identify that and break from my identification with that voice. Um, Then it became books like Eckhart Tolle's A New Earth and The Power of Now. Um, But honestly, I was dragging my ex-fiance all over to these different churches and trying to, you know, find a spiritual home. 
and realize the fakeness that I was being met with a lot of times in a lot of the churches who saw us and did not know that I was trans. So they love, you know, it's just like, oh, you're smart and you're this or, you know, so all these things be a part of our church family and all these things. But once I'm now trans and it's like, oh, shoot, you know, um, so I did not want to be in a place that was tolerating me. Mm. Um, I did not. And even when I went to LGBTQ churches, I just wasn't satisfied with I, the approach, I uh, wasn't satisfied with, okay, so it was just too much uh, logistics on trying to figure out why you are like subscribing to something that fundamentally has been used as an, in an oppressive nature, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so when I found Buddhism, um, it was, it was like my whole mind blew open and I began to have this really profound understanding for my life. And that's what I was looking for. I was looking for, because I kept telling myself, gosh, I wish I wasn't born this way. Uh, uh, Why wasn't I born straight? Why wasn't I born this or that or just different where I could just be one thing or, you know, Mm -hmm. and then I met Buddhism and it kind of provided me with the answer. And, you know, to really have an understanding that I am uniquely and specifically mm-hmm. made. And again, if you're practicing Christianity and all those other things correctly, you also have that understanding. You know what Absolutely. I'm saying? That you are uniquely made and that God has created you for the journey that you're going to go on to make the change and the difference. And how do I know that I'm on purpose with my life? It's through the proof is in the results You know, when you're faced with challenges, um, part of the spiritual practice is to get you in the practice of life, of doing better at this thing called life. Mm -hmm. So that when you're met with challenges as black person, as a trans person or a disabled person or queer person or an immigrant or what have you, that you're no longer in these states of running away from challenges that you face, not only face your challenge, you smack them, you knock, you over, you obliterate those challenges. And on the other side of those challenges is more wisdom, more Mm -hmm. strength, more courage. There's always a benefit on the other side. So being someone who's set up to experience such extreme challenges, I am someone who is then also blessed with extreme benefit on the other side of those challenges. So I sit here today in the interview when people talk about my strength or the courage or my spiritual centeredness or, you know, all these different things. It comes from a tried and tested sort of journey of not giving up, of having the spiritual fortitude and being able to stand alone when I need to stand alone and to be able to stand for what's right, even while other people feel like they don't have the strength or the courage to do so. Absolutely. And breaking generational curses is, is something that is applicable applicable in a lot of our lives for so many reasons. And it definitely takes a, a, someone in the chain to have a level of courage and discipline to, to, to own it and to do what they can to help make it happen. So I, I definitely want to congratulate you. New role, Roxy Hart. Congratulations. (laughs) What have you learned about yourself as a performer and about the audience, as you just described, 
who've come to see you? Well, I've been I've been doing theater for a long time, like I said before. So it's it's really great to return to the space because I love the live moment of it all. I love that anything can happen. Um, I love the energy of each audience is different. Um, you know, I definitely learned that at this ripe age of 41, that this body is still flexible. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had to go into dance rehearsals and and do a lot of preparation for this role. Um, I, the, I remember after the first dance rehearsal, um, I got up the next day and my body was just crying and screaming. And I was just like, what did I get myself into? Uh, but as I got to rehearsal, to the rehearsal studio, my body started to snap back into and was like ready. So uh, it's been really surprising to see both my body and my voice sort of uh, do eight shows a week. Um, I was terrified of me losing my voice or something happening doing eight shows a week and, and being a lead role. When you're the lead role, you're on stage a lot. You're talking a lot and you're singing a lot and you're dancing a lot. So it's it's a lot. Um but just seeing that I can do it. And that's been the best experience because um, it makes me feel like I'm ready for anything at this point. And, and you deserve all of the best. And, and, but I have to ask you lastly, before we get into Gone in 60 Seconds, and then I, like I said, I really appreciate you doing this. And I'm going to also write a column in the New York Post about this interview and highlight a lot of the things that you just talked about that's really important to get out to the masses. So I'll ask you, what what advice would you give someone who's navigating some of those similar challenges you faced, you know, in particular at the beginning of your career? I would say free yourself, Um, save yourself Mm -hmm. um, to not look for something outside of yourself or for someone to come and rescue you or to make your life better, that it's going to be your responsibility, that your life is going to be your responsibility. And what that means is for you to have the ability to respond. So respond, taking responsibility for your life means that you are able to respond to the circumstances of your life, that you are mentally and spiritually uh, and physically fit to mm-hmm. for the journey. Um, everything is possible uh, if you focus and follow uh, your own beat of your own drum and like are willing to do the work. You have to be willing to do the work. It looks mm-hmm. like a lot of work. It looks impossible sometimes, but just know that you can do anything mm-hmm. that you're willing to take responsibility for that's incredibly well said. I really appreciate you taking the time. But before I let you get out of here, I got a rapid fire segment called yes. Gone in 60 Seconds. You ready to do this? I'm ready. All right. So as I mentioned, you're making history on the theater stage. Besides Roxy Hart in Chicago, what will be your next dream Broadway role? Uh, my next dream Broadway role will be Elphaba uh, in Wicked. You know, the Green Witch. People don't know if you read the book, she was actually born intersex. So <laughs> that, that that's that that's that's a, a terrific answer. And you're about your fashion. I paid attention. Oh yeah, you it's know the flyest clothing item you've ever bought yourself. A flyest clothing item I've ever bought myself. I would have to say 
I'm a purse girl, so you know, I have this green crocodile leather like uh YSL purse that you know costs a grip, but I <laughs> but I, but I love it. <laughs> That's what's up. You deserve it. Name one thing you learn from the ballroom culture in pose that you use in your everyday life. Yes, it's to sell it. You know, honestly, confidence is key. And if you know how to sell it, uh, anything can happen. You know, confidence is kind of the game changer. Finally, which song from Chicago is the one you're always the most excited to perform? I would say Roxy, you know, the main, my main song, Roxy, I get to live in this fantasy world with all these boys, um, you know, circling me and me being a star. So it's, it's such a very fun number to perform. Well, you're a superstar. Thank you. And I thank you for taking the time, Angelica Ross. We appreciate you joining the Renaissance, man. I appreciate you bringing me to your platform. Last call. I'd like to thank Angelica Ross for stopping by the podcast. She is a powerful voice in her community, and I'm excited to see her grow as an artist. The elephant in the room, the one thing that stuck out to me about talking to Angelica is how raw and honest she was about the struggles she faced growing up. Just think about this. To have your own mother say things like, if you don't kill yourself, I may need to. And then that same night, Angelica tried to commit suicide. Honestly, I was speechless. Angelica is an incredible person who gives so much of herself to her audience on the stage, on the screen, and through her activism and all of her performances. I'm so very grateful. We all are that she's here with us today. And speaking out about her experiences that will help someone else who is listening right now to this show, it might just plant a seed of hope. So I ask you, what is something in your life that you're feeling hopeful about? No matter what it is, just remember your story, your life is important. So keep writing that next chapter. I'm the Renaissance Man. See you next week.